Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Good day, everybody. What I've been thinking about lately is what I would call a barrier to loving. It occurred to me, actually while I was praying just the other day, that love in general, and this could be any kind of love, it could be romantic love, it could be love uh, simply between friends, good friends, it could be the love we should have for God. It is only possible to the degree that we are in a good environment, frankly. And the reason for that is that we need to feel safe. Why do we need to feel safe? Because in order to love, we need to be vulnerable. We need to actually open up. See, a lot of Christians will look at the commandment that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and think that we can just do that. That if we can just obey, bippity boppity boo, we're following that commandment, and we have achieved love, achievement, get, do, 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 do. But that's not as simple as it is, and I do not believe, and this goes back to my prayer yesterday, or the day before, I don't believe that God is impatient with us. I don't think that God expects us to be able to get this down right away. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked at all if God's desire for us to love him waits for its full fulfillment till after this life entirely. So, if you are not in a good environment, and yet you still have relationships where that you would label as loving, well, if you're not in a good environment, if you're not in a good situation, you're not going to be able to trust very easily. You're going to quickly suspect the other person of duplicity, of hidden intentions. And why is that? Well, simple, because it is normal for human beings to mistake the world around us for the world that we have known in the past, for one, and also to mistake the world for ourselves, secondly. Firstly, of course, if we have experienced a great deal of abuse, manipulation, trickery, but I repeat myself, then unless we choose to humble ourselves and acknowledge that the world can go outside of our expectations, then we're not going to ever choose to believe that another person truly, really could be absent of some trickery, some manipulation, some manipulative intent. And I certainly can understand that. I, for a while, thought all women were essentially deeply hateful. Of course, I was merely projecting my own hatred. And I had to be, not slapped silly out of it, but morally speaking, just through the course of conversation, kind of slapped around until I realized that I was full of myself and mistaken. But we want to believe, and of course we want to believe, that if we have been mistreated, that the future will resemble the past. Why? Because we want to be safe. And this is the paradox. In order to love, we have to be safe, but most of our barriers toward, to the actual loving itself 
is our desire to be safe, to stay safe, to not repeat the harm that we have faced in the past. So as I was saying earlier, we want to believe that if we just quote-unquote follow a set of commandments that we have figured out how to love. We just need to follow the bullet points. We read again of the commandment to love, love the Lord our God, and we start looking for the checkboxes of what it means to love. What are the definitions? What is it actually all about? And this, by the way, is another reason why I enjoy my definition of love, which is to know and act towards the good of the other to the best of your ability. I say it in a number of different ways, but that's the gist of it. And the complication of that is, of course, found in the word good. It's very difficult to understand what the good of another, or of yourself for that matter, is. Loving yourself is important, too. Loving yourself genuinely, not just some affection or selfish desire. Anyways, to know the good of the other, of yourself, uh, how about towards God, is very complicated and extremely challenging to figure out. And again, in order to be able to really enact that, we have to be vulnerable. We have to be capable of not acting selfishly. Acting towards our self-interest, well, if you don't do it, nobody else really is going to. God will work towards your good, and that will feed into self-interest to some extent. And we know this because we know that Christ has promised that he will give, or has asked us to pray the prayer, rather, to give us this day our daily bread, as if to assume that God wants to give us today our daily bread, which is too hard to our own self-interest. Anyways, I don't want to belabor that point. We just want to find the bullet points towards what it really means to love, when love itself, love proper, is extremely difficult. Molyneux, who I follow for a lot of my philosophy learning, defines love as our instinctive response to virtue when we are virtuous. But then that brings in, again, the complica a complication of, okay, what does it really mean to be virtuous? So what is it that we really are calling love when we are not in a good environment? And that environment might include the person we quote love, right? Might be an untrustworthy person, might, do, might be a duplicitous individual, might be a harmful, abusive individual. What we are calling our love in those circumstances is more often something like a mere feeling of affection or warmth. It might be infatuation in the case of romance. It might be mere sexual desire. It might be satisfaction at the attractive qualities of the other, again, in romance. It could be desperation, need, being fulfilled, that we are no longer lonely. It could be, in fact, extremely shallow and petty, but certainly not love. It might be our dependence on the other person. It might, in fact, be straight-up miserable. What we are calling our love is the fuel that keeps us sticking around people who don't really deserve love in the first place, which, by the way, might include us in those instances as well, which is why we need to learn how to enact the good and how to be virtuous. In order to express love proper, 
we need to break off all such chains. I am not arguing that to have affection, to have simple human bond, to have trust and dependence, of course trust is kind of a pivotal term here, uh, but at least some trust, right? I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. The slaking of loneliness, at least for a time. All of these things have their place, and they're not absent love, but they are not love. They can exist with or without love. They, many of them can exist, affection, dependence, satisfaction, loneliness. All of them can exist in an environment of deep hatred. Again, they're mere impetuses for us to continue in a terrible situation. And many people today call that love. Today, we are encouraged to believe, we are propagandized to believe that men are only after one thing. So, of course, when the young woman drinking her coffee in the coffee shop has a man randomly walk up to her and start to try to strike up a conversation, her first suspicion is, what's he really after? Now, to be frank, he most certainly is after that thing in the long run. But if he's a reasonable dude, what he's after right now is just to see whether or not you're desirable in a short-term conversation. If he might even want to have one more conversation with you. Depending on how callously or shallowly or coldly the woman responds to him, he might not want to strike up yet even another sentence with her and simply tell her to have a nice day if he's polite. Men are propagandized to believe that women are crazy, deeply emotional, chaotic, happy one moment, absolutely livid the next, etc., etc. So, of course, we then are leery of even walking up to the woman in the first place. And she might be perfectly reasonable. She might be kind and considerate. She might understand how to seek the good of others. And we might never know it because we don't walk up to her in the first place and give her that benefit of the doubt. If you're a strong, confident person, you can interact in these ways and find out in not even three minutes, how about three to five seconds time, whether or not this person is worth more moments of interaction. Or you might find out, hey, this is worth more than five seconds. I'll stay here. Maybe a number is exchanged. Maybe dates are had. But if we allow ourselves to believe these things, if we stay in the environment of distrust, dishonesty, manipulation, and so on, then this distrust we are programmed to believe, we are propagandized to see, will seem the more true. And we won't choose to believe that anything else is possible. How about another one? How about having children? And we are propagandized to believe that they are extremely difficult, a nuisance, an interruption to the lies that we're supposed to have, the success that we should have in our adult years, and they hold us back. That all they really do is drain us of our money and our energy. And if we choose to believe that they are that way, do you think we're really going to have any love from our children to us and from us to our children? Oh, yes, our children will remain loyal. Our children will remain 
trying to please us because they have to. If they don't do that, they could suffer injury, they could even die, they could suffer starvation, a lack of clothing, for heaven's sakes. And I don't just mean not having any clothes, how about just only clothes with holes in them? What are we going to believe? Now, let's talk about being in a family, but your environment is full of unstable, untrusting, frankly, hating families. Are you going to believe that it's possible for you to do anything different? Are you going to believe that it's possible that you can even disagree with your spouse and your children, maybe at the same time, maybe at different times, and that can be a life-giving situation? You can, in fact, grow closer through that interaction. Are you going to believe that if the only environment you know never has that? They avoid conflict, perhaps, because any time they have conflict, it blows up in their faces. Or maybe they are the sort that hasn't learned to enjoy conflict, so they continuously poke at one another. Now, they might even seem to consider that fun, but is there any love? How is it that we're going to know how to settle disputes if we've never seen disputes settled in a peaceful manner? in a manner that is trying to look for the truth rather than the wind. Now, if we are in a good situation, if there is health, if there is consideration, if there is thoughtfulness, if there is the desire to seek the good of the other, and people are trying and often succeeding, to practice virtue. And I don't mean perfection, of course. But the way that I would put it, the way that I've experienced people in life in general, is everybody in your environment, who you can choose, seeks to truly live. They have that unstoppable, unflappable desire deep within them that they will never stop seeking to really live. If that is your environment then how much easier is it, indeed, not just easy, but in fact possible in the first place, to trust, to open up, to be vulnerable, to allow yourself to be seen by the other person. See, one thing that we do instinctively still understand love really is, is to be truly seen and truly loved by the other person. Now, that may already be true of God, but can we allow that and still remain stable until we're in a good environment? Until we have been planted, so to speak, in good, healthy soil. God may be able to do it from the very beginning because, of course, his environment, and I don't mean that his environment controls him, neither does it control us. But he never chooses to be among the evil. The Bible specifically points that out. He might minister to the to those who are still given to evil, but he doesn't have them close to him. Jesus did the same thing. He came closer to the disciples. He cast the Pharisees away. Not all of them. Some of them did crave the truth. 
But we have to be able to be open to have God do that with us. For us to truly be able to see the good and seek the good, to be virtuous and seek out virtuous people, we have to be open. Otherwise, we're still in that mindset of everybody just has an angle. Everybody has an ulterior motive. Everybody wants something from me. I have to defend myself. I have to stay safe. What if you're already safe? Then you don't need those defenses. How can you really look to the good of the other if deep down you think of them as an enemy who has something out for you, something to gain from you? Something that they want to suck out of you like a leech or a mosquito. But if you don't believe that, and if it is in fact true that they are not after that sort of thing, it doesn't mean that they don't have something to gain for you. That's a wonderful boon and a blessing in that kind of a situation. It is, adi- it is additional joy that you have good things to share with one another when you are in the good environment. That is not not there. But what also is there is the desire mutually for each other's good. The craving for virtue coming from and being received by the other. Coming from yourself, sorry, and being received by the other. I don't really have much more to say on the topic, but I did want to point out One more thing about the Christian means, or the supposed Christian means of loving. If we follow what I was talking about earlier, this bullet point idea of what it is to be loving, to act out love. It's an action, not a feeling. That kind of stuff. Then we will have convinced ourselves that we are loving when all we're doing is following a workbook. We're just trying to walk a walk, to do one and two and three, and bippity-boppity-boo, we're loving. And what that sets us up for is an acute blindness. If all we think we need to do is step one, step two, step three, and we are loving others, then the other areas of our lives where we may be dark, and manipulative, hurtful, abusive, terrible, will just be ignored. Why not? Of course it could be ignored, because we're already doing the prime thing. We're already loving. We're already following the bullet points and getting it right. This is the same error of the Pharisees. They thought they were following the law, because they were getting the letter, but they were missing the spirit. In fact, they were really missing the entirety of what it really meant to follow the law. Because God is not a God of laws, God is a God of love. They were following a God of law. Law is mute, law is blind, law has no spirit, no essence to it. It has no emotion. It has no affection. And yet they were following it as if they became good people by doing so. We do the same thing today if we boil down love to bullet points. 
So I can imagine that my talking about love requiring a good environment is a bit frustrating. Because, of course, the question comes up, how do you achieve that environment in the first place? Well, I've talked about it in the past, and it is both a wonderful and a terrible truth all at once. The simple answer is you have to seek out real love, which means you can't seek out a simple adherence to a particular definition. You have to really seek out love, which means you have to seek out those who are capable of loving and seek out the capacity to love yourself. And the environment and the capacity, therefore, will grow simultaneously. But the terrible part of this is that you will, in fact, have to reject, put boundaries up to whatever extent necessary, put up boundaries between yourself and those who are not going to join you on that journey, or perhaps will even oppose you on that journey. Those who are not willing to live up to the bigness of love will have to be turned away from To try to take them along isn't going to increase them, it's going to diminish you. Because they will oppose you, they will keep you down. If they have chosen not to seek love, they don't want to see other people in their immediate environment achieving it. That will promote jealousy, that will promote envy. They don't want that, so they have to oppose you. But if you, I don't mean necessarily reject them or hate them or anything like that, but at least put up sufficient boundaries so that they cannot pull you back and accept into your life those who are capable, then you will begin to learn what it actually means to love. And I can tell you from my own experience, it is worth seeking. And even at the level of God himself, our capacity to love him is a process. It's not just adherence to some command. Yes, adherence to the command is what we should seek, but it is a long-term seeking. It's like what we say about life. It is a marathon, not a sprint. You seek it out, and God is patient with us, I am convinced. He will allow us the time to grow that capacity. Just because, therefore, we're not getting that first commandment right doesn't mean that he's angry with us. A loving person who wants us to learn how to love is patient. If they see that spark in us, if they see that desire in us to love, they will gently, slowly, gradually, patiently help us and allow us to grow in that capacity. If that's true of good human beings, do you think it's less true of God? Of course not. So, that's all I had on my mind today. Have a nice afternoon. Till next time.